0: What do you call that noise? The XTC podcast. What
1: do you call that noise? Hello and welcome to What Do You Call That Noise, the official XTC podcast. My name's Kev Windsor and I've been an XTC fan since the age of 15. I think if anybody knew me around the ages of 15 to 20 or so would know that I was just a little bit obsessed with the boys from Swindon. I dressed like them, I played in a band that covered songs by them, I wrote songs by them, yes, I'm sorry, I ripped off a few things, sorry Mr Partridge, and I thought I was metaphorically first in the queue to get a copy of White Music, I say metaphorically because I lived near a small market town called Holsworthy in Devon, and we couldn't actually buy it there, I had to order it, and I think it took a couple of weeks to come through, you know, it was a kind of a case of, oh, we don't get much call for XTC round here, young Mr Windsor, Yeah, I had the copy with the Faint White titling as well. Yeah, I thought I was very proud of that. I also got to see them twice. Quite lucky, I realise. Once at Plymouth Polytechnic in December 1979 and again at the Oxford New Theatre in October 1980. That was on the Black Sea Tour. So it's a thrill (laughs) and somewhat of a surprise that 40 years later I've been asked to uh, grab the reins of the official XTC podcast and talk to three writers who have put XTC in print. The 15-year-old me is freaking out a little. So with me today are Chris Toomey, author of Chalk Hills and Children, the definitive biography of the band, Todd Bernhardt, co-author with Andy Partridge of Complicated Game, Inside the Stories of XTC, and Mark Fisher, editor of Limelight, the 1980s fanzine, to whom I wrote to about 37 years ago, (laughs) and we've only just made contact again in the last couple of months. How lovely is that? He also wrote the XTC Bumper Book of Fun for Boys and Girls, and what do you call that noise? An XTC Discovery Book. We'll be hearing from them in a moment, but first, a big thank you to the generous supporters on Patreon, who include Pink Things, Humble Daisies, and Knights in Shining Karma, who make this podcast possible. The Knights in Shining Karma will get a name check towards the end of this episode. But right now, I'd like to give a shout out to one of them, Simon Slateholm, who many years ago was responsible for The Bungalow, a pioneering XTC website, sadly no more. These days, Simon devotes his spare time to running a craft ale bar in the village of Newbiggin by the sea on the northeast coast of England. It's called The Inkspot. And you can read all about it and his six taps of Draft Craft Ales at www.theinkspot40.co.uk. But first, a quick visit to the playground and we're off to Germany where we find Arthur and Esther, children of Rainer Fielder, talking about their favourite XTC songs. We'd also like to give a big thank you to Polly, Hamish and their dad Don for letting us hear it in English. Thanks to Jessica at Strange Town Theatre in Edinburgh for making that happen. We start with Raina, asking Esther about Battery Brides. One
2: song you've sung
1: many, many,
2: many times is
0: Battery
2: Brides. Would
0: you like to say what makes this song so special to you? Also... <laughs> Well, <laughs> I like that it's a slow song with mm. a nice and long intro on. and she can I memorize the lyrics this. <laughs>
3: okay it's not too complicated and what comes to my mind you are often hopping around singing helicopter <laughs> Yeah, that one is so happy and funny and wild.
0: Mm -hmm. Just like Ecstasy. Yes, really happy. But But if you want something
3: quieter, I like
0: Sacrificial Bonfire very much. That one is great. And you can relax and reflect on things. This World Over is also a very beautiful
3: song. Slow and very beautiful music with discerning lyrics.
0: What do you call that noise?
1: OK, well thanks for that. So let's start the chat then, fellas. Um, I think we'll start with Mark, um, as it's all you all felt that this is all happening. Um, as I said in the introduction, we, uh, you started the official fan club fanzine Limelight in the early 80s. How did that come about? What's What's the story of that?
2: Uh, well first of all i feel touched and honored to be invited to be on the xdc podcast it's very good of you to invite me (laughs) um (laughs) thank you yeah um it was just the sort of schoolboy fantasy that probably a million people have uh where you think oh wouldn't it be great to write a fanzine about our favorite band and then you know it's and one way or another it's happened uh we we we, and my friend paul badger we, we Sort of abstractly like the idea of 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 creating a fanzine about something, and it was coinciding with the two of us getting into XTC. I I, I got Drums and Wires Christmas 1979, and we'd heard. Making plans for Nigel before that, uh, and i'd been reading lots of good stuff about them so so it was it was more um, uh, I, I sort of read about them before I heard about them and uh, so we were really excited about this band, and we thought wouldn't it be great to make a fanzine about XTC? and of course, being young and very very naive we didn 't really have the, the the barest idea of how, how you go about making a fanzine or, or more to the point how you even get in touch with the band and so uh, we very naively went off to the local library, or in fact the fact that the the central library in Liverpool, which is about ten miles away from where we lived on the, on the Wirral, and went through all of the Swindon phone directories, which uh, which which published all the names, if those of us who can remember phone directories, and went through and found every A Partridge and C Molding and T Chambers, and uh, and of course they were all X directory and so none of those letters got to the right place. But one letter did get to the right place, and that was the one. And if I'm remembering correctly, the one to, uh, I think it was the one to D Gregory ended up going to uh, another Dee Gregory who happened to know Andy Partridge's mum because Swindon is a small place, and she handed it over in the hairdressers, and then the um, the letter ended up with Dave Gregory. And the next thing, Dave Gregory was writing and saying, "Oh, this sounds quite an interesting idea. We haven't got a, you know, we've 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 had some trouble with our existing fan club, or we, you know, we've never been quite satisfied with how things have gone. Maybe we could look into it." And then I, I seem to remember having. And read their man- manager on the phone and uh we've 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 we got in touch with a because uh, fanzines were very big in this point um in whatever it was the early 1980s and uh there was a fanzine in liverpool and we got in touch with the editor there and said oh how do you do this and he said oh well there are these typesetters and there are uh, you know, this is a printer I can recommend, and so one step at a time. Uh, and the next thing, uh, we 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 produced issue one of Limelight in 1982 to perfectly coincide with XTC no longer touring, which meant yes, thousands absolutely. and thousands of copies. I imagined we'd sell uh, yeah. uh, uh, took a bit longer to sell than they might have done otherwise.
1: because well, I think that that's where I first came across Limelight was it was credited in Mummer, wasn't it?
2: That that's that's as it was, yeah.
1: I seem to remember writing to you anyway at that point. when
2: Yeah, and I can certainly, yeah, I can certainly remember having that sort of odd feeling as though everybody being in a record shop and picking up an XDC record and suddenly noticing my own name and address and thinking, oh, everyone must be looking at me, but of course they weren't. But <laughs> suddenly feeling very self-conscious.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Well, and well, just a quick round robin to find out how uh, Todd and Chris got involved in writing about the band as well. Chris, you you wrote. Um... Well, you're a music writer generally, but um, uh, Chalk Hills and Children was the uh, what's known as the definitive autobiography of the band. How how did that come about? Obviously, were you a fan from from teenage years as well?
3: Yeah, I mean, um, quite similar to Mark's story. I was uh, um, a fan, a bit of a groupie, if you like. Um, XTC were the first band I ever saw live. Um, in a place that you all know, Kevin, a place called Barnstable Checkers. Maybe it closed by the time you.
1: Oh, absolutely!
3: Do you remember it? Yeah. Um,
1: no, I, I remember going there several times, but I, I, I never saw them there. Um,
3: that was about February '78. That was so they were the first band I ever saw live, um, and they blew me away literally because <laughs> I was only. Uh, 17 at the time and I didn't really know what to expect from a live gig I mean it was kind of extraordinary that I was even allowed in um and um the 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 volume kind of whoa I thought whoa I mean the the gig was extraordinary on several levels
1: it wasn't a huge club was it
3: no but it probably had a capacity of about 500 and it was probably mostly filled the only disappointment from my point of view was that uh, my dad, who dropped me and my friend Paul Carpenter off, um, we'd agreed that he had to pick me up outside at midnight. And they only came on at half 11. So I got to see half, half an hour of them. But in the meantime, I w- as I said, I was literally blown away, blown away by the volume and intensity of the performance. But I'll never forget it because it's just an extraordinary gig. There was a, a young woman dancing next to me topless all the way through. So um, it was memorable for many reasons, right? Um, How very un Yeah.
1: Mind you, it's very North Devon.
3: <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I became a fan, not a massive fan at that time, um, but Gradually, over time, bizarrely, I became a, a, a much bigger fan when they stopped touring because there was something I liked about the kind of insular world they suddenly entered with "Mama" and "Big Express," and that also gave me the confidence. Bizarrely, when they stopped being kind of me- um, they weren't megastars, but you know, when they stopped being a kind of big presence on the stage and kind of went into their own world, I thought, well. I had enough confidence to approach them and say, is it okay if I write something about you? But at first they rejected me. In fact, they rejected me a couple of times. Um, but I persevered. And that, that was the name of the game at the time.
1: Great. Well, we can go back into more details on, on that. Let's, let's get around to Todd's first encounter. I mean, Todd, um, you're joining us from LA or near LA today. Um, and from what I gather, you came to XC uh, in the kind of, early mid eighties period skylarking kind of time. Yeah, well I um so I mean how and when did you first hear that and uh how did such a peculiarly English band have such an impact in America at that point?
0: Well actually I came to them uh before um skylarking but with impeccable good timing I discovered them right after they stopped touring. So I am jealous of all of you who have seen XTC Live. Um <laughs> And first thing, I should also say that i'm I'm going to be a fanboy and say hello to both Chris and Mark because I was fans of both of their work, and uh, you know, especially chalk hills and children. It was the first real inside glimpse I got of of the band and and their background and everything. Um, but uh, i I discovered the band uh, a- after having graduated university and moving in with a few folks who had some albums. Um, <laughs> the One of them was not a fan of me sleeping as late as I did and, and partying as late into the night as I had the night before and so would often wake me up with No Thugs in Our House at top volume. <laughs> uh, but then that got me uh, instantly falling in love with English Settlement because... Um, when, back when albums had sides, when you look at side two of English Settlement and those three songs, No Thugs in Our House, Yacht Dance into All of a Sudden, and then you realize they're all written by the same guy. Uh, I I had to find out more about who this guy was. I started digging into their back catalog and um, uh, you were mentioning Mumber before, that was the first album that I bought new. Um, and was actually quite uh, afraid when I listened to the end of Funk Papa Roll, and I heard Andy yelling "Bye bye." I thought that was it because I knew Terry had quit the band. And um, but then, luckily, they they kept on and and um, you know moved into uh, broadened their palette considerably, moved into more and more different types of music with uh, you know a broader spectrum of instrumentation and deeper songwriting and lyrics and everything else. And I've just, you know, loved every album even more as it's been released. And on the, I I had a chance uh, to meet Andy back in uh, 1998 when he had come to New York to uh, shop what were the demos of what would become Apple Venus around two record companies in the city. Um, I'd gotten to know David Yazbek because at that point, instead of being a world famous Tony award winning, um, you know, songwriter for, for Broadway musicals. He, uh, was touring with this little pop band in little clubs. And, uh, I knew that he had worked with Andy on the laughing man, his first studio album, Yazbek's first studio album. And so David told me that Andy was going to be at a show that he was giving that Yazbek was giving in New York. And, um, he said, Hey, why don't you come on up and I'll, I'll introduce you to him. And so, um, Having done some freelance writing, uh, I had written some articles for Modern Drummer magazine. And because I knew they had a uh, column in the magazine that was written by or for uh, non-drummers called A Different View, and knowing that Andy had worked with a wide variety of drummers since Terry had left the band, I pitched... The idea of interviewing Andy to the editors at the magazine. They said, sure, go for it. So when I did get a chance to meet Andy, um, I was able to be more than just another nose picking fan saying, hey, I really like your work. Uh, I was able to say, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer. Would you like to talk? Um, my good pal, Mitch Friedman, who was uh, a mutual friend, uh, passed along Andy's contact information to me. And then uh, we started talking from that point on. But the reason I bring up my daughter, who is 22 today, is because before I went on my road trip up to New York at that point, my wife and I, uh, my wife at the time and I had a little fairly well, and uh, we we looked back and realized that that was the day that she was conceived. So she was conceived (laughs) on the day I met Andy, and born on Andy's birthday, and I'm quite proud of myself that I did not name her Andrea.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I could throw in your very own pink thing.
3: Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> or I could, I
1: suppose. <laughs> but, yes, yes, yes. No, but I wasn't it about his... Child, but anyway, uh, so I mean, obviously, so you've all <laughs> um, worked personally with, with with members of the band. Um, I mean, obviously, Todd, your uh, your, your book was a, 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 a compilation in conjunction with Andy about talking about each of the songs. Uh, Chris, uh, a, a lot of the the biography you wrote was uh, um, distilled from various articles as well. But but also, how how much kind of personal involvement did the band have in you in compiling it with you? And did you have you know special input from them for it?: I
3: had total cooperation and uh, over over several months. Um, in fact, I was totally immersed in that their world for probably about eight months in all. Um, first, they drew up the list of the people they thought I should interview, and um, it was a really intense period, because um, luckily for me, I didn't have a proper job at the time. So I was traveling all over the country. They were were recording non-such, or they were, they, well, when I first met them, they were thinking about recording it. And then, then they went off to Chipping Norden, um to do it, um, which took, and so I was there for the whole period. And I was, it, it, it seemed to me that I was zigzagging the country all the time for about eight months, speaking to people, either them or um, or people that knew them, because um, you know it was 1991 wasn't it, when I was researching it and writing it. So, still a lot of the people from their old days were still available. Um, <clears throat> but God, you know, I spent hundreds of hours with the band. <laughs> um and you know they were very generous with their time I have to say very generous I went to their homes and met with the, their families um uh it's just extraordinary the access I got um the only thing that I regret is that I, I couldn't do couldn't use all the resources that I was given because I was I was constrained by the publishers really,
1: and, and it's interesting you're saying about the, the the kind of really open access that you were giving. Because I, I read somewhere that you you've also done a biography with the Stranglers, and they were the complete opposite. They were uh, very much more more pravder about it all. They could, they only wanted certain things to be aired, but um, from understand you know, Andy was very open about. Certain elements, talking about his breakdown and uh, affairs, and with Colin, or you know, with Colin's affairs. So it seemed a completely different, contrasting style in those between between those two books.
3: Oh, totally. I mean, you know, this is why I was absolutely delighted to get the XTC gig because, as much as I loved and still do actually love the Stranglers, they were um, very difficult. Um they were there were basically four people who didn't really like each other that much. <laughs> um and also had very very um certain ideas about what I could and couldn't say. So it was kind of going from a kind of Maoist environment to you know just say whatever you like. <laughs> And and I remember the very first interview I did with Andy in his home. I couldn't believe how open and honest he was, because with the Stranglers, um, and know, uh, yeah, there will be Stranglers, because I know the, the the quite a lot of Stranglers fans are also XDC fans might end up listening to this. Um, with the Stranglers, it was very much a case of yeah, well you you can say this, but you can't say that. From day one of meeting Andy, it was like, say what the fuck you like. (laughs) And I thought, well, this is great. I will then. (laughs) And it
2: strikes me that what I think, I think for for all three of us, it seems to me that we're in a very privileged situation that, uh, I mean, Andy in particular, but actually all of the members uh, in general are open as chris says and but also just very articulate and when i read uh other people's autobiographies and biographies of other you know this a similar sort of ilk uh you know they can be you know reasonably well ri- written sometimes a little bit tedious or whatever but it uh, on the whole it it's 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 much more pedestrian much more mundane than xdc and and it seems to me that it, the reason why i can still keep on doing this is that there's it seems to be like there's an endless source of material that you can keep on mining and mining and mining because there is still more still more to be said but but uh, but the stuff that has been said is really interesting and and uh you know i I think todd's book is is a perfect example of that because andy talks unusually interestingly about and perceptively about his own material i think in a way that uh you know you often hear other artists talking about their stuff and it's they'll, they'll just say things like oh i'm not very good at talking about this and you think well yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, maybe not a surprise about the other artists, but a real surprise how um, how both how generous and interesting they can be.
0: Yeah, I mean, Andy is a dream interview. And the other guys are great too, but he's so funny. And the, the big challenge, of course, is just keeping up with him because you can, you can end up three or four miles away from your original question in a matter of a minute if you're not careful. Which can be a lot of fun, but then, you know, if you have a specific, you know, agenda that you want to try to stick to or or a list of questions, you got to work your way back there
2: yeah, and also the other thing you have to keep up with is his jokes, because've for as long for as long as I've been interviewing him, I've been you know transcribing the tapes afterwards and then realizing that there was a, a fantastic joke that I just missed <laughs> that would be like a joke within a joke or something and and it just sort of goes straight over your right. head and you think, oh, yes, he was making a joke there.
1: Well I, I, and Mark, go back to you. I mean that, that openness was quite apparent when you started Limelight, really, wasn't it? because didn't didn't Ian Reed actually give you some money and help fund the whole project, with the manager at the time?
2: Yeah, he he effectively we sent the bill. I suppose I don't know if money came directly to us, but I think we would just forward the bill from the printer, which would have been the biggest uh, cost for the first. I can't remember three or four issues. Uh, uh, until there was enough money, and we were selling them for for like a, a very small amount of money, fifty pence a time or something with um, people that would be it, it, it's just weird to think back about how you used to have to do a fanzine back in the day. I don't know I think um Chris was involved in was it's called Strangle the stranglers magazine Certainly. but you know it was it was very uh what now seems very clunky that somebody would have to send a a a, 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 a a stamped address letter to me, and I would then send out an order form to them, and then they would fill in the order form and send it back with a postal order or a check, and then I would have to go to the post office with all these uh, international reply coupons, which could be expe- exchanged uh, for stamps and so on. It was just a very archaic and slow process, but but eventually enough money came in that meant that we could pay the next printer's bill after issue five or something like that. And so, but yeah, they 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 basically saw an opportunity to 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 to, to communicate with the. Fans fans via two of us who, who were willing enough to, 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 to put in that donkey work for them and and and, and be the voice uh, their voice to the fans and the fans voice back back, back to them I suppose yeah yeah uh, but certainly that generosity yeah it was um, they, they saw the value of it so in a way I I, in a, I, I do remember thinking at the time that we went in a way we went a, a real fanzine in the sense that we were we were not having to scrabble together to get the money and and go down to photocopiers and stuff we could do it reasonably uh, properly without uh, uh, because we had where we, we were official in that sense
1: so fast forward a few years then mark and uh, you put together the bumper book of fun for boys and girls which was a compilation of the, the limelight fanzines and what what why how did that come about then and what what kind of help did you get from the band for that was there something in the zeitgeist well, yes. Without me realizing it,
2: I think the zeitgeist is interesting. If you look now around, the people who are listening to this podcast, who are, who are, who are, who have I've got two books now. That, that there's that one, and uh, what do you call that noise? And uh, I think a whole generation of us have, have have arrived at the age we have, and we can look back, and we are talking about. Not even thirty years. We're talking about forty years. Maybe getting on for fifty years. In some cases, uh, people looking back at their lives and remembering uh, in a nostalgic way, but I think also quite an intelligent and and interesting way about what what this music means in twenty twenty one. And uh, uh, so so there is a zeitgeisty thing going on and. The the way the 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 bumper book of fun came about was just sort of saying yes to things. My daughter w- was working at the Stan Comedy Club and overheard Stuart Lee and and Joanna Neary, both of whom were in the recent uh, XDC podcast uh involving the the comedians and they were performing on the edinburgh fringe and uh, she was working in the in in the stand comedy club and overheard the two of them talking about XTC. so she naturally went up and said my dad used to do the XTC fanzine (laughs) and they said oh wow that we'd we'd love to see these things and and so she came back and told me and i thought oh how privileged stuart lee wants to see my fanzines Uh, and the thing is i only really had the own my own copies I'd sold out of every edition apart from my own copies. And I said, well, I can show you them to them, but I haven't really got anything to to, to give them. And she said, well, I could scan them. And uh, I that just led to, the thought process was then, well, if all these things are scanned, then there's, they don't just have to be seen by by two comedians. They could be seen by lots of people. And so I thought, well, I wonder if I could put these together as a compilation, and then I could get other articles around it, and so uh, and and just relive all of those days. And so the the bumper book of fun is this, I think, quite an interesting combination of the new and the old. So there's these sort of glossy pages with with new material, uh, including interviews with the band and so on, uh, alongside the old. Uh, hand printed you know letter set uh and and, and mad typeface uh, black and white uh original publications uh, and and then because of facebook and twitter and all the rest of it it was possible to get to, to get quite quickly uh access to a, a group of 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 dedicated fans who who would be the, the the market for this book and yes i mean it's the same thing that we've just been talking about that the band were very happy to 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 uh, contributors. I'm pretty sure that I did the very, very first TCNI interview because uh, Colin and Terry were but, uh, and this is a zeitgeist thing as well. They just happened to have come together, uh, and Terry happened to be back in the UK just as I was having this idea. And so they were building up at the time. They, I, I think there is, uh, if I remember, there's an inaccuracy in in the the, the set listing, the the track listing uh, that I give because they were still they still hadn't quite finalised the the final songs that would go on that initial EP. Which actually, now I think about it, it is true to the spirit of Limelight in general because there was all oh, there was the news pages were always just me on the phone to Andy Partridge desperately trying to <laughs> scribble down what he was telling me and mishearing the titles of, of, of songs and and you would just have these these um, interesting sounding things and you would mishear them and write them down and then other things wouldn't be released and so on and so the, the level of inaccuracy in Limelight was sort of I think now <laughs> sort of charmingly Dubious, uh, <laughs> but yeah, So, so yes. Yeah, so, so so the bumper book fun emerged uh, and re re-entered the world with new material and with the, the full support of the band, who as ever were as interesting as and articulate and and enthusiastic as, as ever.
1: And and Chris, you did a uh, wasn't there a revised edition of uh, Chalk Hills as well in two thousand two two thousand and three, and and because there seemed to be a kind of revival or uh, a reappreciation of that whole post-punk art rock thing in the early noughties, wasn't there? It was a, lot of, a lot of bands that were citing all those post-punk bands like Franz Ferdinand and the Future Heads and what have I mean. you. Was, was that all, once again, was that a zeitgeisty thing? Was um,
3: just,
1: or was it just market demand? More people wanted more XTC products? Well,
3: they they it was both. Um, because, I mean, the interesting part of the story here is that... Um, <clears throat> The reason I became the first writer to write about XTC in book form is because I was kind of like the cut price author, you know, um, I was, I was available. I was very keen. I wanted to do it. I was banging on their doors. Um, I think if, if, if it had been 10 years later, there would have been, uh, 10 other more able writers in front of me, to be honest. So um what happened was I did this book for um Omnibus Press. Um it almost didn't get published even at the last minute because suddenly so apparently the um the managing director person of uh, on omnibus music sales as as the company is called, um said, Hang on, why were you why are we about to publish a book about XTC? Nobody's ever heard of them. And it was just because of a um pretty much there was a lovely guy called Andrew King who worked um, in the company who said, no, I think it'll, I think it'll work. So he persuaded the guy to go through with it. And, um, and actually it it sold bloody well. Um, I can't put precise figures on it, but I've been told it sold between 30 and 40,000, right? That's pretty bloody good. If you think about around that, that, the era of uh, mama and uh, big express they were selling around the region of 50,000 albums i think it really shook them and um <clears throat> and that's how the japanese edition came about the brilliant japanese version um and then suddenly out of the blue a few years later they rang me up and said yeah can you do can you update it and i thought well okay yeah um and then yes, you're right. It was a very intense few months, and I updated it. And bizarrely, um, the publication of the second version came out pretty much when they stopped, right? Because Wasp Star had just come out, and I think the I'm look I'm flicking in the last page. At the time, it was predicted they were going to re- release an album every six months, and then bang, that was it. I couldn't have predicted it, and I wouldn't have wanted to, but that's the way it worked out.
2: I, I only relatively discovered that there was an update. I don't—I've got the original version, but I, I didn't know—I didn't know, or I'd forgotten, or I don't know. But um, uh, and now, when you try and buy it, it's—it's it's like hands, teeth, it's—it's it's, it's, it. Goes for stupid amounts of money online. If you, if you, it's like eighty quid or something.
3: But, but yeah, friends have told me they're finding it very hard to track down these days. That's
0: good. I'm glad I saved my original edition then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> First edition, yeah, they're always worth more. But,
3: yeah, it'll be worth a fortune if you give it twenty years.
1: It is interesting that the band um, it, uh, has had such an influence on, on other bands. As I say, that that kind of new generation and and one that I'm always thinking about that never seems to get talked about much is the kind of blur connection you now that whole english pop brit pop thing because i know andy partridge produced demos for modern life is rubbish which was immediately ditched and not used at all but graham Coxon has cited andy partridge next and to as a on hush down yeah I, yeah it was xtc but they always tried they always kind of talk more loudly about all kind of cooler influences and i, I think that's very strange and very odd. It's like, you know, the band that dare not speak its name. Um, I mean, so, I mean, Todd, for example, I mean, what, what kind of,
0: well, I I talk a lot about the fact that they are the quintessential musicians band. Um, the joke with me is whenever I mention, and and it's not a joke because it's real. Uh, whenever I mentioned XTC to anyone and they know who they are, my next question is really what instrument do you play? (laughs) And nine times out of 10, they play an instrument yeah and if in that one instance where they don't they were really into music or are really into music and so they know about this special band and i think it has a lot to do with the uh just absolute you know wild-eyed commitment of stc's core base of of fans because we feel that they're the little engine that could, and you know they got beaten down along the way and never got the credit they were due. They stopped touring, so there's the allure around that. They went through all the bullshit that you know too many musicians have gone through with record label problems and manager problems and everything else. And um, you know it's not like Andy is uh, living in a palatial mansion somewhere in the in the English countryside. He is. Still living in this very modest house in swindon and uh, and you know they're but at the same time, they have this incredible catalog that any musician would be would be proud of and I think a lot of it has to do too with just the fact that it is <laughs> One of the reasons I didn't see XTC when they played live is because I was into progressive rock and that was my thing. And I didn't I wasn't really plugged in so much into the punk and new wave scene at the time, even though they played right near me in university. And um, I could have had the opportunity to see them. But then I've also noticed that there's a big crossover between uh, you know, Chris was saying there are a lot of Stranglers fans who are XTC fans. There are a lot of progressive rock fans who are XTC fans because they realize the depth and complexity of of what is actually in the music. Even though these are typically short pop songs that follow more or less the Abacab structure, there's always something there. There's, it's multi-layered. The lyrics are genius. It's, you know, there are so many, you know, that the guitar parts, the way Dave and Andy combine and, um, you know, the, the brilliance of Collins playing and the, the fact that he provides such an incredible foil to Andy, you know, being the McCartney to Andy's Lennon and, and all that. And then besides Terry and his incredible straightforward um, style that was so appropriate for the early albums, the fact that they were then able to branch out and use all these other different drummers, there's just so much to listen to. I, now we, when I listen to albums, I still hear, new things mm. so yeah that's my little rant about
2: yeah and I, I think one of the interesting things is how consistent the band or how consistent the reaction to the band has been and if you look back at the early issues of limelight i think from memory it's issued to the sort of editorial at the start the first line is something like we are not alone because suddenly we had all these the fans <laughs> writing to us. But it, even even effectively at the height of the band's popularity, it still felt like they were a bit of a sort of best kept secret among yeah. those people who, who knew. And that has uh, just remains the case. And and I think possibly one thing that has has changed is that uh because history now exists, and there's another there's 40 or 50 years of this stuff uh, that that the 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 business about whether they're fashionable or not fashionable has ceased to be relevant and so the the recent podcast uh we did with with the fans who are in their 20s i don't think they have any um you know they're not looking for the cool thing It's just this interesting music that they found from from, from that happens to be from the past and and they don't have any um sort of extra opinion they don't have the enemy telling them this they're allowed to like this band or they're not allowed to like this band they can just they can just hear the music and go for it so i think possibly that has changed but still uh i the, i've you often see people on twitter saying what i would say which is that they feel like they somehow they've projected this image that they're your band yeah. <laughs> and that nobody else knows about them and and you almost get a little bit uh defensive if they, for some reason, get a bit popular because you think, no, they're mine, yeah, they're right, mine, they're mine. Right. Don't steal them away from me. But that's, that's always been true of their work. And I don't, I, don't <laughs> I, I like it, but I don't really know why it should be.
0: And if, and if you're a fan of a particular genre, you know, XTC's catalog covers a lot of ground. I mean, you look at the range from White Music to Wasp Star and Apple Venus. I mean, come on, they mm. just pick. Mm. There's something there for you.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I know I, if somebody asks for a recommendation, I've always got to ask them, well, what, what sort of music do you like?
0: Exactly. To,
2: you know, to to, to fight, well, if you like punky stuff, well, maybe you'll like this. And if you like proggy stuff, maybe you'll like this. Or, right. or what, what's your mood today?
1: Well, I mean, when white music came out, I literally just started to learn to play the guitar. I, I haven't written about them in the same way as you guys have, but I've written songs blatantly ripping them off and uh my old school band used to do a lot of covers but you know and um and but they I, I did follow them on that musical development and journey I mean I love the kind of pop art spikiness of of uh of white music and go to um but then you know I then also got on to the drums and wires was was a big one for me um, well the whole mid period and I must, I confess to losing them a little bit at Skylarking because I'd rediscovered what I'd liked about them in the then emerging kind of C86 music which was kind of a 60s jangly and that kind of thing but from them um, I did, you know, go branch out into sort of avant-garde, Philip Glass and discovered a whole lot of different things from them as well Free Jazz, you know, because I know Andy Partridge liked a lot of his mm-hmm. improv free jazz. So, you know, they, they were an education, not just a band.
2: <laughs> and I think I do, it, it, for, for me, it it, it was, I, I was just obviously the right age at the right time and getting into the right band. So many coincidences really, I could have got into, well, Chris has mentioned the Stranglers. There's, there's lots of other people that you could have got into to, just with a very small uh, difference in in the way things pl- panned out. But I feel very, very, very fortunate to have got into this particular band uh, purely from a journalistic sense in that th- there was always something interesting to write about, whether it was them dressing up as the Dukes of Stratosphere or or... Or the influence they've had on other people, or all the influences that you're talking about, Kevin. Whether you, you could go into these different directions, and so every new album sounded different to the last. So there was you, you could talk about the different instrumentations and the the, the the things that they were being influenced by, and so on. So in addition to the fact that they are very articulate about talking about it, they 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 were always doing something interesting. And there are lots of bands who, are, you know, I, I I would say that I like, but I don't think I would be particularly interested in writing about them because the story doesn't change. But with XTC. the the story always Mm. does change yeah
1: absolutely
0: yes even William Wilson makes a point of talking about the growth between different albums and you know Andy likes to joke about how failure was very good to them and so it comes back to us them being our own little secret but it was good for them too because it kept them really trying and striving and working and I think it also kept the band together because you know um, I'm sure you guys have seen how hard it can be for, with personal dynamics and everything. And being in a band is very much being in a relationship. You, you know how hard it can be to keep a relationship together, especially when it's a poly relationship, which is what a band is. And so, but they were, you know, mates that held together. It was them against the world or against the record company or whatever. And, uh, you know, they just kept trying and trying and trying and making albums that were each different and, and you know, arguably better than the last. Mm.
3: Yeah, I mean, for me, um, obviously, I was too young to to go through the the, the Beatles and uh, um, appreciate what what they did in terms of progression. Or even though I've you know, I'm I'm delighted to have become a, a Beatles fan <laughs> in the last few years. Um, but XTC were kind of my Beatles in a way because yeah, the 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 progression album to album was thrilling. And it happened very, very quickly. The only time I started to fear for them was around the time of Mama when they stopped touring. And, and you know, the the, the work became more intense, more introspective. And I kind of, I remember thinking when I first heard Big Express, I love this, but I can't see how a big record company are going to yeah. um, yeah. stick with them for much longer because, you know, it's just, it's so difficult for 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 my mate even to understand you know um but
0: somehow you know that's why todd Rundgren saved their career yeah
1: and, and also when big express came out when was that 84 or so i think the things happening in the indie pop world were were, were shifting then anyway weren't they um, i mean it's the smiths and as i say it was mm-hmm. the whole c86 yeah. jangly guitar you know that was going on, more DIY, more back to basics. So the kind of bigger production that they were going along with then probably weren't making them cool for that kind of audience at at that point either.
3: No, and then it was just a a series of lucky um, incidents, wasn't it? The Dukes, um, Mm -hmm. which then came on to Skylarking, which when I remember I I was on the Virgin uh, press list and I got a cassette uh, pre-release of that, and as soon as I heard that, I thought, ah, wow, OK, <laughs> they're back. You know, yeah. it wasn't just, oh, you know, all my kind of fears about my my second favorite band. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, first, just second. <laughs> um, were kind of resolved in one go, you know. But I mean, um, yeah, kind of. I know, you know, because I, I kind of catch cataloged part of this in 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 my book yeah i think good on virgin for sticking with them as long as they did because they they couldn't have been an easy sell especially
0: after english settlement although you got to wonder if they ever really lost money on them i don't think they probably did no as much as they gave the band shit and put pressure on them You know, where's the single? Where's the single? And you've got to use an American producer, et cetera, et cetera. That's true. Um, But, you know, they were not doing what every other band was doing at the time, of course. So they weren't making them as much money by any means, I'm sure.
3: Mm. I mean, that's true. Um, uh, Virgin were never that stupid. So there were, but I I think it was always a tight margins, put it like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
2: no doubt. And I got the impression that certainly in the early days, there were a lot of, Big fans within Virgin who would support, yes. you know, who, who were behind them, who wanted, who liked them, who who wanted them to to do well. They were like a pet band.
3: Yeah, and I think that had a lot to do with their the the their personalities. Um, to go back to the Stranglers again, um, lots of record companies got rid of them because they were just too difficult. Um, I can't imagine that anyone would have had difficulty dealing with um, Andy Colin and Co. and Dave. You know they were always charming. Um, they, they they were described to me by somebody at Virgin as sweethearts. You know, which is a bit patronising, but I can I can see where they were coming from. Yeah.
2: And although a lot of fans talk about how sad it was that they split up, they actually were together a tremendous Long amount of time. time. You know, way way longer than 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 any band would normally be. You know, a lifespan of a, a lifespan of a many bands is three years or something. And and for them, there must have been a. a uh, a, a way of working and a and a, a, a level of compromise and understanding and 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 enjoying each other's company that made made them last as, as long as they did because it's not And easy. all those
0: guys still love each other. You can you can tell it when you speak to all of them Absolutely, you know, yeah. individually. They all have even if they have differences over how the business is run now or whatever they have a huge amount of respect for each other as people and as as creative, mm. uh, you know, musicians.
2: Mm. Yeah, you never hear them saying a bad word of it, about each other's musicianship. No, never.
0: But for all the people out there wondering, they're not getting back together. We should, we should put the kibosh on that just in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> yeah. It's not gonna happen. Stop asking.
1: I had a friend say to me today when when, when he heard I was chatting to you guys, oh, well, get them to influence and you know, get the band get back together, a couple of gear. I said, it's not gonna happen. So not gonna happen.
0: <laughs> See? <laughs> i knew that was coming but.
1: yeah absolutely. <laughs> i mean it was interesting did anybody get to you see tc and i a couple of years ago oh you did mark you said
2: yes yes I, I i spent the week i didn't see that they did was it how many altogether? together was it six altogether? together or eight i can't remember but i did i did the full week when they did monday till thursday or something so i did four i suppose yeah and um and it was amazing yeah and and actually it, and that's- it,
1: that's probably the closest we're ever going to get, isn't
2: it? It, it is, and and you know Terry's. I, I'm with all due respect to Todd. I I don't tend to notice drummers, but I always notice Terry. <laughs> so in that sense, Terry is my favorite drummer. or Him and Ringo, I suppose. You 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 hear you notice them on 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 the records, and so to have Terry Chambers playing those songs and and. And 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 uh, I suppose by by focusing on Colin's songs, you you got a a, a particular take on the catalogue. But it's what an amazing catalogue, and they did such a good uh, job at it. And and staying there for a week, and and you could sort of watch them relax into it, and 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 you know come out first of all sort of a bit rabbit in the headlights but just as, as as the days went on thinking oh this is all right people like us it sounds good and so on and so and the, and all the com- camaraderie of of the other fans uh around the town i kept on bumping into people in hotels and and bars and so on uh so it was no it was a tremendous uh chance to see and and yet at the same time uh and 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 i'm hoping that terry chambers might be gets uh, We all get through the coronavirus crisis and Terry Chambers manages to get ex-extc uh, uh, to, uh, out on the road again because I nearly saw him at um, the Queen's Hall here in Edinburgh and... That was cancelled but uh, I'm tremendously excited to see that and yet at the same time I'm not particularly bothered about XDC getting together it feels like I've they've got a legacy of work yeah. they've got a that you know I'm happy with that there's more than enough there that, that to keep anyone ha- happy with so I don't have a desire to see and I did see of course I'm privileged I, I saw XTC the, the live when I was a lot younger uh, twice and so so it, it doesn't feel like I've got it that that particular desire, of course, I'd go if they did, but you yeah. know, um, I, I don't, I haven't, don't have that need that other people do. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: And I, I kept my streak going. I, I missed it because I'm an idiot, and uh, you know, I just, th- I thought they were going to stick together for a little while, so I'd have another chance. So, my mistake.
3: Yeah, um, I thought there was going to be a second tour, so um, I held back, and well, we regret it now. <laughs> Because I, I know loads of people who went to those gigs and loved it, absolutely loved it. Sorry,
1: everybody. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, when I know. When I saw them in 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 Oxford, Chris, that was like a, a trip up from Oakhampton School. We like we bunked off school a little bit early, I think on the Thursday, and uh, I mean. James Mayes and a couple of other men, We drove up to Oxford and got back in time for, for first class at ten o'clock in the morning. Dedication, <laughs> Devon. Talks uh, oh, after yeah.
3: back. <laughs> well done. I've done similar with other bands. I forget
1: who was supporting them. I've, I, I, I had this. I, I've been living with this fantasy that it was a band called Comsat Angels supporting them, but I've been told recently it wasn't. It was a band called 003 Minutes who. Who? I wish it had been Comsat Angels though, who were very once again kind of contemporaries of them and very similar, that kind of nerdy, you know, slightly musoey, but that kind of, as I say, spiky, energetic, art rock kind of thing going on as well, weren't they? Heard
3: of the Comsat Angels? Fred, 00 O-O-Zero music. Mm.
1: <laughs> I think a lot of people who are into that early XTC first two, three, four albums were probably Comsat Angel fans as well. Um, but just going back to the, the writing and having met um, most of the band members, you know, going back to the old adage, never meet your heroes. Did Were there ever occasions when that uh, occurred to you? Did, did things ever get awkward or did, did people not come across as quite the way you imagined or wanted them to be? Todd, how was, how was working with Andy on, on putting together all the information about the songs?
0: Well, the the, the process with him was just fantastic. We I got lucky to meet him that first time. Write the article for Modern Drummer, uh, so I think it helped to see that, for him to see that I was legit. I wasn't just making something up. Um, I made a point of of trying to stay in touch with them, and, and then when um, Wasp Star came out, I think I got in touch with the magazine again and was able to do a short article on Chuck Sabo and also um, I followed up I was able to follow up with Terry because at that point Kai was doing uh he was just coming into his own as a drummer and, and was uh, recording in Australia um, Terry's son Kai so um I also uh started you know kept talking to Andy at that point the internet was turning into a thing they were still in the strike uh their kind of marketing stride had been broken. And during the day, this is what I do for a living. I do communications and marketing and things like that. So I was trying to talk to him and and help them and give him some information about how the internet worked and and the possibilities for that. And then uh, MySpace started up. A friend of mine, Rob Cosentino, started uh, a MySpace site for XTC, but then pulled me into it. And then I was trying to figure out how do we how do we keep people coming in? How do we keep them coming back week after week? So then we would post new songs. And then I had done an interview with Andy for a book on lyric writing, and I had had to leave so much of that great interview on the cutting room floor that we decided because MySpace had a blog feature, I put it up there as a blog, got great uh, you know, feedback from from people, and then decided. Um, I realized talking to Andy, who at that point was quite frustrated by um, song stories and the amount of uh, material they hadn't been able to use there. And so, Chris, I feel your pain because you, I'm sure you had so much stuff that wasn't able to make it into a book because a book is, by its nature, limited with the amount of you know, print you can print on a page. You can't put out a 800-page or multi-volume set. So... Um, but with the internet, of course, we were just burning pixels. So Andy and I started the whole series of, of talking uh, every couple of weeks or every week about uh, a song that he was doing and and going into it in real depth. Uh, it was his chance to not lose that material and to to correct any misapprehensions that might be out there. Um, and, you know, as we talked and talked more and more, we just became closer and closer friends. We'd talk about... A million things that had nothing to do with music. Um, I got to know the other band members over time. All of them are just lovely, generous people. It's just both what Mark and Chris have been saying about their interactions with them, and it's—I've um, never had anything but but good experiences with them. So
2: yeah i'd say my feeling is um uh, I, I think it's it, my psychology being quite very young when we started the fanzine and thinking well i don't want to be seen to be the overeager fan who's calling them up every minute you know and, and so i've always been sort of protective of them if you like and so i thought kind of thought well i shouldn't i'm not really their friends but i am i've got this sort of fan relationship with them so uh, but but you know whenever i have approached them they've always been uh, open and generous and 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 human, I suppose they 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 don't have any airs and graces about them. I, uh, they're, they're into doing their job. They're probably one reason why they didn't get ultra famous is because their they, their hunger for that sort of fame was was was, was not really great. What well, their hunger was for for creating
3: fantastic music, right? Yeah, um, Kevin. To get back to your question, there was absolutely no disappointment whatsoever in meeting and working with them. It was the 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 complete opposite because. By, by the time i had got into their world i'd got used to working i'd i'd worked with um a number of bands actually but i was on a um record mirror which is long defunct um so i'd meet meet rock stars quite regularly and um they could be interesting but they could also be <laughs> arseholes. um so for for me to to meet the band that I love the most, for them to be as charming and funny and engaging as I knew they would be, was just a thrill. The only thing that tarnished my experience of working with them was the sense of disappointment that um, I gave them because, you know, I, I was on a tight gig. Um, <clears throat> I was commissioned to write this thing. I was given 6 months to turn it around and um so I had kind of three conflicting things going on I had to satisfy the publisher who wanted a certain thing delivered in a certain time I had the band quite rightly saying but I'll, maybe you could say more about this more about this more about this and then and then I had my my own um my I, I was also um putting pressure on myself so it became kind of, towards the end of writing that book, it became quite stressful because I couldn't really satisfy those three parties. It was it was going to be impossible. I kind of did the best I could, and um, I think it's okay. But um, it's not a book I want to particularly reread. <laughs> um, I think it's very factual, you know. I think the band were quite right when they when they wanted more of this that and the other they wanted more of that but 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 the thing is that under the gig on the terms of the gig I just couldn't do it the way I or them would really want to so it but the I'm proud of the fact that it turned out to be the first book about them so I'm you know that that's a, that's a good thing
0: and and I'm going to disagree with you about the quality of the book. And I believe me, I feel your pain. I've been in that position, and I know I, I got very lucky having being able to start with something that was online and then pare things down, and and mm. kind of work in the opposite way. But I thought it was a very engaging read. And like I said, as as a fan, with my, it was my first real. You know, of course, I'd read limelight and the little express and and the other fanzines and stuff but this was the first biography and it was it felt quite like a uh, very meaty thing to sink my teeth into oh well that's kind <laughs> thank you
3: yeah
2: i, I agree with credit todd. where credit's due <laughs> i agree with todd and i'm i'm, I'm also thinking I'm, I'm thinking about something that uh chris mentioned earlier which was that xdc were the first band that he saw live and it was the same with me that they, they 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 were the first gig for me and and then of, of course you have no point of reference and I remember getting really excited by the the support band whoever they were and and you know didn't come to anything else but because it, I just hadn't seen anything like it and it was loud and whatever and and um <laughs> right. uh, uh, so, so but then with the benefit of hindsight you realize hold on I actually started at the top here in terms of seeing bands live you know they really were and it takes a long time to get that perspective but but in addition to that I also started at the top because I, I, I it must be the case that Andy Partridge was the first person I ever interviewed and subsequently I've become a I am a journalist you know I'm a pro- professional journalist so so uh, l- like Chris and all the rock stars that uh, you were interviewing for the record mirror i've I've interviewed many many people over the years uh, specializing in theater, I haven't done that much music, but but um, met loads and loads of really interesting and articulate people. But you know, I still say that I started at the top with talking to SDC because uh, there are not many people that you can go back to time and time and time again, and they will always have a new take, a new perspective, a, new, a fresh. Uh, either they're doing something new, or they'll have a, a fresh take on, on on something old, and. As again, I said it earlier. As a journalist, that's that that that's a gift. It really is a gift.
0: Yeah, you never you never walk away disappointed after talking with any of them.
1: Having I have seen them live, but I've never met them in quite the same way as you guys have. So it's you know that's a, that's a fair swap, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm sure if if I if I was to meet if I was ever to have met Andy Partridge at the time, I would have just faint. Because I, I realise now there's so many manner mannerisms. It's it's really strange how. A person in your formative years can have such an impact on you without and you don't realize it until many years later but i realize now i've got so many kind of uh, mannerisms and and um and, and music influences and things that all came all goes back to swindon which is very bizarre Yeah, I know this isn't going to work on the podcast, but I have a a black and red squared jumper here, which was knitted by my neighbor, Mrs. Hockin, which is obviously I nicked from the back cover of White Music because Andy (laughs) Parker was wearing a black and red squared jumper. (laughs) So, you know, stuff like that. (laughs) I've
2: I've just had a a flashback to, uh, I don't know how many years ago, uh, uh, and I'd... I hadn't been in touch with the band for, for quite a long time and it was January and I decided to have an alcohol-free January. So I was having a dry January and uh, and it was the last day of January, which is our wedding anniversary. And I I'd opened my first drink in a month and the mo- I, I took a drink from it and the phone rang and it was Andy Partridge. And I thought, wow, this wine's good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've got to do this more often. <laughs> yeah. So
1: when... Any more future plans for writing? I mean, Mark, are you? Uh, the podcast has obviously come about as a consequence, a nice side effect of COVID, I believe. Do you, do you see anything yeah, else and um, the, written, maybe coming out of the podcast? Well, it's it's. It,
2: I've mentioned the, the passage of time a few times in this in this uh, podcast, and. Uh, I, I, a couple of people have said to me oh how how do you still have more stuff to say about this band who hasn't you know they haven't even produced anything for for, for 20 years and I think it it makes me think of people who keep on writing books about World War Two. you know there's still more to be said about it because the world changes and your perspective changes <laughs> on it and you start hearing more things so I, I don't feel that there's any limit to the amount of stuff that, that that can be written whether it's talking like this in podcast format or I've got a couple of ideas for, 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 for books that may or may not work uh, out and I th- and I, I think there's still the, 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 there's not just readership there's there's interesting things to be said and and I don't think the full s- picture for all the great work uh, that Chris and Todd have done there's there's still more to be said and 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 more to be explored.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, they they do continue to write music as we know. Yeah. Um, both TC and I and, uh, you know, the subsequent projects that they're working on dave has been quite busy uh, with, you know, big, big train and, and a number of other bands, tin spirits, others. And um, Andy is hard at work, even though, you know, well, you've seen the collaborations that he's done with people like Robin Hitchcock and, and um Peter and and the other folks, but uh, and then he he and I have been talking about uh, a couple different projects. We do want to do a second volume of the Complicated Game book, delving into some of the interviews and doing actually fresh stuff on some of the songs that we didn't include in the first volume. But also looking at songs that he plans to include in a project that he's tentatively titled uh, My Failed Songwriting Career, where he has written he he spent a long time trying to write songs for other people. And, um mostly having them inexplicably uh, rejected. But that's because they're Andy partridge songs. he's He writes Andy Partridge songs. Um, but luckily, the monkeys were smart enough to pick up some of his songs. Um, But I've heard some of the demos and they're amazing. So I can't wait for that to come out. And we want to talk about that and include some of that in there so that we have a little bit of synergy going between the book and and his release.
3: That sounds great and potentially very funny. There's some great stuff in there, yeah. Because the good thing Andy's uh, brilliant at is being (laughs) (laughs) self-deprecating. So so that could be fantastic.
1: Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. And thank you, Mark, for uh, giving me the reins for this particular podcast that was quite a surprise very random <laughs> i'm very delighted obviously if, if, the, if you did it, tell it, the ably handled, me, Kevin. i'd be doing this 40 yeah. odd years ago. i'm sorry
0: i said ably handled. if,
1: if you did tell I, the 15 year old well thank you very much <laughs> i've been waiting all my life for this <laughs> <laughs> no it's been very it's been amazing thank you very much <laughs>
2: I've, I'm, it's actually making me realise that what I've done all my life is is true to the fanzine spirit and the idea of the fanzine. For those too young to, you know, of, of the internet generation to under, understand what the fanzines are all about, it was about the voice of the ordinary fans being expressed. And I've just sort of. Uh, Embrace that without even thinking about it. To to such an extent that you know, what do you call that noise? For example, is is really it? It looks like a book, but it's a big fanzine. (laughs) It's a big fanzine. Uh, Just looking looking a little posh,er really. It's just lots of people's voices all coming together. and And I think I like the idea of the podcast uh, being lots of different voices coming together and, and 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 expressing themselves. And if I can help people do that, then that's that seems to be my role in life for some reason.
0: It's the one big thing we all have in common, right? Our love of the band.
2: Exactly.
3: And it's been great fun reminiscing. Indeed.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you. No, oh, thank you. <laughs> what do you
3: call that noise?
2: A big thanks from me to Kev Windsor for hosting this episode. That was really good of you, Kev. Thank you. Uh, thanks too to Chris and Todd and, of course, Arthur, Esther and Raina in Germany and Polly, Hamish and Don in Scotland, as well as Jessica at Strangetown Theatre Company. If you'd like copies of the books, you'll probably have to search for a second-hand copy of Chalkills and Children by Chris Toomey because that's quite hard to get hold of. You can find Complicated Game by Todd Bernhardt and Andy Partridge at burningshed.com, where you can also find my two books, The XTC Bumper Book of Fun for Boys and Girls, and What Do You Call That Noise? An XTC Discovery Book. Alternatively, you can get both of those two books at xtclimelight.com. Uh, thanks, as ever, to the podcast supporters at Patreon, in particular to the following Nights in Shining Karma. Mats Anderson, Terry Arnott, Dan Barrow, Matt Bell, Kevin Burt, Liam Duggan, Jamie Dunn, Helen Fay, Robert Graham, Robert Lawlor, Dennis LeCourier, Liz Lynch, Amy Parkinson, Murray Meikle, Kevin Murray, Karen Neal, James Newell, Mark Reed, James Reimer, Simon Slateholm... Michael Sutcliffe, Mark Thomas, Nigel Waller, and William Wilkstrom. If you'd like to support the XTC podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher. See you again next time. Thanks for listening.
0: What do you call that noise?